0: The following message is part of the preaching ministry of Berlin Baptist Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. I'll invite you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 22. And this is going to pick up where we were two weeks ago. And if you recall, Paul's in the process of actually giving his testimony He was sharing what had happened to him on the road to Damascus and in the days that followed that. And he left off in verse 21 by saying how God had told him, I'm going to send you to the Gentiles, far away to the Gentiles. And that was where we left off. And everything seemed to be good up until that point. So I'll ask you to just kind of consider in your own life as we begin this passage today. Have there been times when... Maybe things were going along just fine and smooth and you thought everything was going how it ought to be going and all of a sudden, something changed. Your life changed. Your circumstances changed. Maybe not for the better. And you had to try to make sense of what was going on and maybe it presented you with a crisis of belief to some degree. Maybe you had to question, all right, God, what's going on here? not really sure what's happening and, and why and can't really make sense of it all. Well, that's kind of where Paul finds himself today in, in, in this study where we're, where we're in Acts 22. And I will go ahead and tell you, this is a lengthy piece of Scripture, but it's more of a narrative. So this is not your typical uh, three-point sermon. Of this, you know He said this here and this here and this here, this is what we should do. It's not like that. We're going to read this whole passage of Scripture. I honestly believe you'd be better served by hearing the Word than hearing my words. Uh, So we're going to read the whole passage, but we're not going to have to dissect it as typically we might do because of the nature of the the passage. And so what I mean by that is this. We're going to read the story of what's happening in Paul's life, and we're going to try to identify in our own lives to find the, the couple of major life lessons, principles that we can apply to our situation, our circumstances that I believe will be very helpful because just the title of the message today, God is near and God is good. Yeah. And, and maybe we need to hear that more often, maybe repeat it to ourselves just to get it firmly entrenched in our mind and our heart and our spirit. God is near to me, to you. God is near to and God is good, and that's especially important when our circumstances aren't so good. So we're going to read beginning in Acts chapter 22, verse 22, and we'll actually carry on to the end of chapter 23. So I invite you to follow along and just listen to this portion of Paul's experience in his life as uh, maybe we can identify with parts of it as we go. Here's what the Bible says beginning in Acts 22, 22. They listened to him up to this statement. Remember he had just said, I'm going, God's sending me to the Gentiles. They listened to him up to this statement, and then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were crying out, throwing off their cloaks and tossing dust into the air, the commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks, stating that he should be examined by scourging so that he might find out the reason why they were shouting against him that way. But when they stretched him out with thongs, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? Now when the centurion heard this, he went to the commander and told him, saying, What are you about to do? For this man is a Roman. The commander came and said to him, Tell me, sir, are you a Roman? And he said, Yes. The commander answered, I acquired this citizenship with a large sum of money. And Paul said, But I was actually born a citizen. Therefore those who were about to examine him immediately let go of him. And the commander also was afraid when he found out that he was a Roman and because he had put him in chains. But on the next day, wishing to know for certain why he had been accused by the Jews, He released him and ordered the chief priests and all the council to assemble and brought Paul down and set him before them. Now Paul, looking intently at the council, said, Brethren, I have lived my life with a perfectly good conscience before God up to this day. The high priest Ananias commanded those standing beside him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Do you sit to try me according to the law? And in violation of the law, order me to be struck? But the bystanders said, Do you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I was not aware, brethren, that he was high priest, for it is written, You shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. But perceiving that one group were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, Paul began crying out in the council, Brethren, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees and I am on trial for the hope and resurrection of the dead. As he said this, there occurred a dissension between the Pharisees and Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection, nor an angel, nor a spirit. But the Pharisees acknowledged them all. And there occurred a great uproar, and some of the scribes of the Pharisaic party stood up and began to argue heatedly, saying, we find nothing wrong with this man. Suppose a spirit or an angel has spoken to him. And as a great dissension was developing, the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them and ordered the troops to go down and take him away from them by force and bring him into the barracks. But on the night immediately following, the Lord stood at his side and said, Take courage. For as you have solemnly witnessed to my cause at Jerusalem, so you must witness at Rome also. When it was day, the Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves under an oath saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 who formed this plot. They came to the chief priests and the elders and said, we have bound ourselves under a solemn oath to taste nothing until we have killed Paul. Now therefore you and the council notify the commander to bring him down to you as though you were going to determine his case by a more thorough investigation. And we, for our part, are ready to slay him before he comes near the place. But the son of Paul's sister heard of the ambush And he came and entered the barracks and told Paul. Paul called one of the centurions to him and said, Lead this young man to the commander, for he has something to report to him. So he took him and led him to the commander and said, Paul, the prisoner, called me to him and asked me to lead this young man to you since he has something to tell you. The commander took him by the hand and stepping aside began to inquire of him privately, What is it that you have to report to me? And he said, the Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down tomorrow to the council as though they were going to inquire somewhat more thoroughly about him. So do not listen to them, for more than 40 of them are lying in wait for him, who have bound themselves under a curse not to eat or drink until they slay him. And now they are ready and waiting for the promise from you. So the commander let the young man go, instructing him, tell no one that you have notified me of these things. And he called to him two of the centurions and said, Get two hundred soldiers ready by the third hour of the night to proceed to Caesarea with seventy horsemen and two hundred spearmen. They were also to provide mounts to put Paul on and bring him safely to Felix the governor. And he wrote a letter having this form, Claudius Lysias to the most excellent governor Felix, greetings. When this man was arrested by the Jews and was about to be slain by them, I came up to them with the troops and rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman. And wanting to ascertain the charge for which they were accusing him, I brought him down to their council, and I found him to be accused over questions about their law, but under no accusation deserving death or imprisonment. When I was informed that there would be a plot against the man, I sent him to you at once, also instructing his accusers to bring charges against him before you. So the soldiers in accordance with their orders, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris. But the next day, leaving the horsemen to go on with him, they returned to the barracks. And when these had come to Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor, they also presented Paul to him. When he had read it, he asked from what province he was. And when he learned that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will give you a hearing after your accusers arrive also giving orders for him to be kept in Herod's praetorium. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray you would help us today as we have read this text of Scripture, and I pray you'd give us understanding so we can see what's happening in Paul's life and what we can learn from it, that we might live more in accordance with your word, with your will, and bring glory to the name of Jesus, in whose name I pray. Amen. Now, that was uh, quite a bit of drama going on in Paul's life. But I want you to know that in the overarching theme of what's happening in the book of Acts, with Paul as the central character of this portion, there's really two main things I think we need to see what's happening to him that will be very helpful for us. And here they are. I'm going to tell you what they are, and then we'll work through them. Number one, trust God's presence. Trust God's presence. And number two, trust God's goodness. And you can understand that, his goodness, as his sovereignty, his um, overarching um, control over all of creation. Trust God's presence and trust God's goodness. Now, first of all, we'll talk about his presence. Now, Paul was in the process of testifying to the gospel when all this happened. Okay, if you remember that passage we did two weeks ago that ended right there, verse 21, he was just going through his, his experience in life. He was telling them how he got saved and then what God said to him and said, I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. So what really sparked this terrible reaction was the fact that he said he was being sent to the Gentiles. And so the Jewish people got all up in arms. So you see their reaction in verse 22. They listened to him up to this statement then they raised their voices, and look what they said, though. This is important to set the stage for why this is so terrible for Paul. They didn't just disagree. They didn't just not like what he said. They said, away from uh, with this man from the earth. He shouldn't be allowed to live. So they, they hated what he said so much. They didn't... I mean, does anybody understand a parallel here between our current culture and what's happening right here. This is the first century. This is about uh, the mid-first century. And, and Paul is in a situation where he has said something about his own life experience that has caused those who disagree with him not to just, well, well I just, I don't, I don't agree with that, Paul. I don't think that's true. No. Nothing that civil they screamed and hollered and said, you need to die. You don't need to live anymore. Does that, does that, does that sound familiar at all? See, th- this was 2,000 years ago. And we're living in a culture now where it is no longer fashionable to just simply disagree. You, you can't just have a civil, polite conversation and just, well, I, I just don't see things the way you see them. And then, you know, and then you part ways and that's okay. Now it's, oh, you don't agree with me? Well, I'm going to kill you. Or you, you just need to go to jail. Or, you need to go away from here because I'm obviously right and you're not. And so you differ with my opinion, so you just need to go. That, that's not how society is supposed to function. But that's the situation Paul finds himself in. And so the crowd is upset. They're calling for Paul's death. And the commander brings Paul into the barracks to be examined. Now, that's a funny word, examined. They're, he's not taking a test, okay? When, when they say he's going to be examined, they're going to beat him. They're going to beat the truth out of him, basically. This is, this is first century black site torture, right? Interrogation. That's what's going on here, okay? And so let me explain to you what that means literally. Have you ever heard the phrase... A cat of nine tails that's a particular implement, a whip and and here's what it looks like. It's a uh, leather thongs, like strips of leather that are weighted down on the end with rough pieces of metal or bone, and then they're attached to a really uh really stout wooden handle, and so you, you hold onto the handle and it's got these nine strips of leather with pieces of bone and metal hanging off the end of it, and that's what they hit you with. And, and they do that so you will tell them what they want to know. And historians say that if a man didn't actually die from this process, and it's that, they, that frequently happened, he would certainly be crippled for life. So just from the fact that uh, they're trying to gain information. This is how they would do that. So it's a terrible ordeal. So Paul mentions at this point that he is a Roman citizen. Now this is something he had kept to himself right up until this point where he was about to be tortured, and he says, "Oh, by the way, uh, is this is this legal? Because I'm, you know, I'm a Roman citizen." Now I want you to look at one particular part here carefully because what the commander says to him about his own citizenship is contrast to what Paul says. It says here, that verse 28, that the commander said, I acquired this citizenship with a large sum of money. Paul said, I was born a citizen. So here's what's happening. That commander had to bribe somebody to be counted as a citizen to acquire that standing in society. So that's how people did it back then. Uh, interesting. I'm not going to go down that path. But they they bribed somebody to get their citizenship. Did you hear me? All right, I'm just going to leave it right there. So Paul was born a citizen. So the, the bottom line here is it was illegal for a Roman citizen to be, first of all, put in chains and to be uh, beaten without a, a charge of guilty against them. So just an accusation it wasn't, wasn't enough. So Paul pointed out to them they were about to get themselves in some trouble. So that got him free. And the troops took Paul into the barracks. And here's where we first see, at this point, near the end of this first section, from verse 22 of chapter 22 all the way down to verse 11 of chapter 23. That's kind of the first section here of what's going on. Paul is telling his story to the people, and they got mad. So then they brought him into the barracks to beat the truth out of him. Then they realized they couldn't do that. So they said, all right, well, we'll just get the council together, uh, Pharisees and Sadducees, and we'll just get them all together. So now in verse, verse 1 of chapter 23, Paul is talking to the council. So he's first talking to all the people. Then he's talking to this smaller group, this, this group of religious leaders. And he starts to tell them uh, his story again, and he gets hit in the face. And so he has a little back and forth there with the high priest and those around him in the first five verses. But look what he does in verse 6. This is when you pay attention to your surroundings and Paul says, okay, there's, this council is made up of two different groups of people and one of them believes this and one of them believes this and they're not, they're not in, in harmony with one another. So Paul points out that he believes in the resurrection of the dead, the hope and the resurrection based on Jesus. So what does that immediately do? That takes the focus off of him and puts the focus within the council group, the two parts of the council, and they start arguing amongst themselves. So you see there in verse 7, uh, there occurred a dissension between the Pharisees and Sadducees, and it explains there, verse 8 and 9, because the Sadducees say there's no resurrection, the Pharisees believe there is, and so they're arguing amongst themselves themselves. So Paul kind of buys himself some more time. All of this is happening because he's just trying to tell the gospel story. So here's some of the main points that we need to understand about this first section. Trust God's presence. God's presence with Paul is the only uh, defining reason why Paul is able to do and say the things he's doing and saying in the context of this conflict. Okay, so this is something that is so often overlooked in our lives, I believe. I believe we get in a tight spot where things are difficult and for some reason, if we belong to Jesus, we just temporarily forget that Jesus is with us. Mm-hmm. We, we forget, we, we get so focused on our circumstances and what's in front of us where we can see, we forget who lives within us. You understand what I'm saying? This, this is the same principle that was at work when Jesus was on the earth and the disciples were in the boat and Jesus comes walking on the water and they freak out and then Peter says, Alright, if that's really you, then tell me to come out there with you. And Jesus says, Alright, come on out. And what happens? He's walking on the water straight toward Jesus as long as he's looking at Jesus. He looks around at his surroundings and see the waves and the water and the wind and all of a sudden he starts to sink. And he cries out to Jesus to be saved, right? And what does Jesus do? He picks him up and saves him, right? But then he points out his problem. You have little faith. Why did you doubt? It was Jesus who told him to get out there to to begin with. And as long as he was focused on Jesus, he was fine. But when he focused on his circumstances, he started to sink. See, there's a major life lesson right there for us. Same thing that's happening here with Paul. Paul is surrounded by angry people and then he's brought into a military installation where he's a prisoner and he tries to speak to the council of people and now they're upset. Everybody's upset because he's just simply telling the story of Jesus. See, people aren't going to be thrilled all the time when we talk about Jesus when we tell our personal story of how Jesus impacted our lives people aren't always going to be thrilled with that but we have to remember that Jesus is with us see uh, after the confrontation between Paul and the high priest the heated argument between the Pharisees and the Sadducees it's kind of a relief to read that during the following night the Lord Jesus came and stood near Paul And spoke to him. See, the violence of the last two days, especially the enmity of the Jews, must have made him wonder anxiously about the future. There seemed like there was little prospect of his leaving Jerusalem alive, let alone his traveling on to Rome. So, in this moment of discouragement, Jesus comforted him with the straightforward promise, verse 11 that as he had more witness to him in Jerusalem, so he must also bear witness to him in Rome. And it would be hard to exaggerate the calm courage which this assurance must have brought to Paul during these three further trials, because he's he's just going to see another leader, the governor. He's got to tell his story again. He would be uh, in front of three more court systems, three further trials, two years of imprisonment, and then a voyage on to Rome. So we can't uh, exaggerate or overestimate the, the value of the fact that Jesus was with Paul. His presence was there. And see, this vision makes it clear that what's about to happen in Paul's life is following a divine plan. This is not random. These are not arbitrary events. See, what happens to us and if things are going fine then we're fine, right? If things are smooth in our lives maybe we might not even call on God quite frankly if things are going okay but let something bad happen we immediately call on the Lord but here's what we may forget nothing comes into the life of a believer without filtering through the hands of God. I don't think we fully grasp the idea that that whole word coincidence, I hate that word. That's not how it works. See, if God created everything that is, and God loves us, He sent His Son to die for us, and then do we honestly believe according to the Bible and God's character, that he's just like, hmm, wonder what's going to happen today. I mean, really? Does that even make sense about who God is? God loves us and cares for us. These things are not accidental. So the hand of God is going to guide Paul as he stands before the Roman emperor. Nothing is said about the outcome of the trial before Caesar, a topic which is kind of outside of the, the scope of Acts, but what's significant is that the appearance of Paul before the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem is described as witness. He's bearing witness. You see that in verse 11? As you have witnessed to my cause in Jerusalem, you will also witness in Rome. What, what does a witness do? He testifies. See, that's what we're supposed to be doing. Testifying to the goodness and the grace and mercy of God, the gospel of Christ. We're supposed to be telling story. And so Paul's appearance before the emperor is going to also be for that same purpose, witnessing to Jesus. It's not defending himself against specific charges. It's witnessing to Jesus. That's always our top priority, and God is with us. What is the last thing Jesus said when He gave the Great Commission to His disciples. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you, and, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. There's never a time and there's never a place when Jesus isn't with you. We have to trust Jesus. Now, by way of illustration, before we finish up here, think about the current circumstances in our world today. There is uncertainty and anxiety everywhere. People are worried about COVID-19. People are worried about politics and the government. People are worried about riots and violence. People are worried about whether or not it's safe to go to work or go to the grocery store or even to come to church gatherings. I'm not saying these concerns are not valid or not real. I know they are. But I am saying that a Christian has to have a very distinctive way of processing all this information. Does that make sense? See, if we are going to be Christians, which means we follow Christ, that by definition means we cannot Process and understand the information around us in the exact same way as every other unbeliever in the world does. Does that make sense? We have a, we have a different uh, source of information and a different perspective and a different worldview and, quite frankly, different morals and priorities and, and beliefs. And so, therefore, we can't think of things in the exact same way as someone who doesn't know Jesus. I hope that makes sense. So the Christian's perspective has to look different than that of the world or else there's a serious problem. And it's almost as if uh, some of us have forgotten the fact that Jesus promised to be with us always. That that seems important to me. Something we should remember and and let it affect our behavior. So trust God's presence. And finally, trust God's goodness. From verse 12 in chapter 23 to the end of the chapter, we're going to see... God's sovereign hand, his good hand, ordering Paul's steps and and guarding him as he goes through here. Because here is a group of people who took an oath among themselves. They made a a pact, so to speak. And it says, hey, we're not going to eat or drink until Paul's dead. We've got to get rid of this guy. He's causing us too much heartburn, too much trouble. So... It seemed like everybody was now involved in this conspiracy, and that Paul was in extreme danger. But I want to want to say now what I said before when I read the passage from Isaiah 54 at the beginning of our service. Even the most careful and cunning plans from men cannot succeed if God opposes them. If listen we're we're just not that we're not that strong we're not that capable okay if we got a plan and we think we're we're really good and we know what we're doing if God opposes that plan it's not going to succeed that's just the truth and so these folks who thought they were going to kill Paul no it's not going to work remember isaiah fifty four verse seventeen no weapon that is formed against you will prosper. Every tongue that accuses you in judgment will, you will condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And their vindication is from me, declares the Lord. That's Isaiah 54, 17. So here's what happened. Paul's nephew showed up. <laughs> this is, this is, I mean, I find this to be comic relief. I don't know if y'all ever see that when you read the Bible, but to me, this is kind of funny. Because Paul's in... He's in prison, and he's got some freedom because he's not uh, being uh, he's not he's not found guilty. So he's kind of he can't he's a Roman citizen can't be chained. So apparently he can have visitors, and so Paul's nephew hears about the plot to kill him, and so he it said, "Look what it says. Verse sixteen: The son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush, so he came and went into the barracks and told Paul. So he just walks right in. Hey, Paul, there's some folks to try to kill you. And so Paul sends him to the commander, gets the word. And so you see that, that chain of events that takes place there. And then after that information is passed on, verse 22, the commander let the young man go and then instructed him, tell no one that you have notified me of these things. So he kept it a secret. So he's delivered the message and he is... Uh, Passed the information along to the commander. So now the commander is going to act. So you see he got 200 soldiers, really almost 500 people, which would constitute about half of that whole battalion of people that were in that one installation. 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, 200 spearmen, and they were going to transport Paul in the middle of the night to avoid the ambush. So the commander writes a letter, to the governor to explain what's going on. The soldiers carry out the plan. They took Paul safely to Felix, the governor, in Caesarea. And then Felix agrees to hear Paul once the accusers show up. So next week, just know in chapter 24, those people are going to show up. They're going to follow him over there. And there's going to be another trial. But Felix agrees to hear him once the accusers show up. But in the meantime, he was kept safe. See, he was guarded in Herod's praetorium, which means he's got soldiers all around him. Nobody can get to him. This plot to kill him is not going to happen. So you see, you don't just trust God's presence. You trust God's goodness, his provision. So all this time, even in the midst of Paul's terrible circumstances, God is still caring for him, still watching over him and protecting him because, do you remember what? that all-important verse said in Acts 23, 11, Jesus stood beside him and said, you witness to me in Jerusalem and you're going to witness to me in Rome. That means, up until you get to Rome, at least that long, I've got you covered. See, he's not in Rome. He's in Caesarea. He's before Felix the governor. He's not yet gotten to Rome, but... Paul knows because Jesus stood right beside him and told him, you are going to bear witness to me in Rome. I'm going to get you there. I'm going to carry you safely to that location. So the future of the gospel was at stake. Powerful forces ranged for and against. On the one hand, you've got uh, Jewish persecutors who are prejudiced and violent. And on the other hand, the Romans were open-minded and went out of their way to maintain the standard of law and justice and order of which their best leaders were very proud. So just think about the overlap, maybe the similarities with today. I'm going to read what I, what I just read. I'm going to read it again. And I want you to think of it in terms of our culture and what's going on in our world. You have two different groups of people that are for and against the gospel. One group is prejudiced and violent. The other group is trying to maintain law, justice, and order. Just going to leave that there. For and against the gospel, and the gospel is at stake in Paul's testimony. So the source of his courage, the way he's able to be courageous despite his circumstances, is his confidence in the truth. See, he was well aware the Romans had no case against him and he didn't think the Jewish people had a case against him either because his faith was the faith of his fathers and the gospel is the fulfillment of the law. Remember, he's a Pharisee. He was well-educated. He knew the Scriptures. And he knew after being arrested by Jesus on the road to Damascus, he knew more than ever the Gospel is the fulfillment of the law, all the teaching he had received when he was younger. And above all, he knew that his Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was with him throughout it all. And he would keep his promise that he would bear witness in Rome. So, so what does that mean for us? Paul was in yet another predicament. God rescued him from it. There was a legitimate threat on his life. He was being held prisoner by the government. And however, we just recall from the first portion of the message that God was with Paul every moment along the way. And he showed himself to be good. He rescued Paul from certain death by using his captors to deliver him to, the, to his next destination. So so here's what we can learn from that and apply it to our own lives. Do your particular set of challenges seem insurmountable? Do you feel like you you just can't see a way forward? Maybe you, you don't know what to do with your circumstances. You're not sure how to take the next step in what direction and, and what you should do or say. And you just you, Maybe there's some confusion. Maybe there's some anxiety and worry. You're just not certain of what to do next. Well, it's usually in times like that that God does some of His best work. And, and the reason why is because there's a, there's a characteristic of our lives in which many times we have to get to the point where we just don't know what to do next. To where we are almost forced to cry out to God and to beg Him for some guidance and some clarity, some direction, some wisdom. And He always comes through. The unfortunate side of that scenario is this. Isn't it a shame? Things have to get that bad for us to get on our knees and cry out to God. Why do we have to let things get to a point where we just feel like we have no other possible option but to pray and to trust God and to trust His goodness and His presence and trust that He loves us enough to guide us through whatever it is we're going through. Why do we have to wait till it gets to that point? Instead of, you know, God, things in my life are really awesome right now, um, so I'm going to stay closer to you than ever. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to thank you more. I'm going to praise you more. I'm going to gather with my church family more not less, I'm going to be more in tune with your spirit because things are going so well. Instead of, well, everything in life has just gone to pot. I don't know what to do. I don't know where I'm going to go next. I don't know how I'm going to handle this terrible situation. And here's the phrase. Well, I guess all I can do now is pray. Really? Shouldn't that be the first thing we do? Shouldn't that be on the top of the list? All right, before I do anything else, I haven't even touched any other human options, but before I do anything else, I'm going to pray. I'm going to seek God's face. I'm going to open the Word. I'm going to spend time with Him and ask for wisdom and direction and guidance, clarity, discernment, instead of, well, I've done this, 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 and this. I've asked this person and that person. I've done everything I know to do from a human perspective. I guess I better pray. God is never a last resort. Amen. He, he's the first name on the list. You can trust His presence. And you can trust His goodness. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. For more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org.